0: Everybody, all doing good? Last week we finished up cutting off Goliath's head, remember that? He fell to the dust, David pulled out his sword, and he severed the top part from the rest of his body. But I wonder what happened to his head. (laughs) I wonder what happened to Goliath's head. Well, uh, I I, su- I suppose we all like food. Yes, food, food. I I have a um, a little bit of a habit which my family tease me about. When we have a smorgasbord of food all laid out, the the smell of it entices and starts me salivaring and I can't help myself, I have to take just a taste. Anybody like me like that? And I usually get a slap on my hand, which reminds me of my mother, but it's actually my wife doing it, or my daughter-in-law. But I can't resist taking the taste because the appetite has been stirred, the nostrils are flared, the stomach is rumbling, and I just have to get a taste which envisions me with these magnificent prophetic sights of what is to come. Hebrews 6, 5 puts it in a more succinct way by saying we've tasted of the powers of a coming age. Hebrews 6, verse 5. Hebrews 6, verse 5. We, it's this lovely little phrase, have tasted of the goodness of the word of God. We're tasting it right now. We're tasting it. We haven't got the whole thing. We've got a taste. And that taste invigorates us. And it's an appetite by the grace of God which says, I like what I'm tasting, but I must have more therefore. It's the opposite of natural hunger. When you leave the word of God out of your life, You come to terms with that, but when you eat it daily, daily bread, the appetite for more increases. At the end of a nice natural food meal that we'll have on Sunday today, perhaps, you're bloated and you think, well, I'll never eat again, but you do. But spiritual hunger is a gift from God we've tasted now of the powers of a coming age, So being a prophetic people is living in the taste of what is coming. Prophetic people are those who live touching two worlds. I'm grateful to Kim for our slides today, but this actually I'm also grateful for Michelangelo. We're those who are between two worlds. We live here in our natural body, but in our spirit realm, we've been raised up together with him in the heavenly realms, in a place of rule and authority with Jesus. We're bringing a taste of the future into the present. That's what it means to be prophetic. And although this is the second half of A series of two about the spiritual gifts. I wanted to cradle it. I wanted to put it into a setting like a diamond on a black cloth. The spiritual supernatural gifts need a setting. And the setting is, it is the invigorating of the supernatural into the natural realm. It's taking a little taste of what is future into the present. And that's who we are. And that's what we're becoming The old Hebrews used to envisage the kingdom of God like this as a house which had an upstairs and a downstairs. And the upstairs was where God lived. And it was beautiful and it was full of light. And it had a, a beautiful fragrance about it. And everything was set in order and it was pleasant. And there was peace there. and There were no demons or devils or darkness. But downstairs was the opposite. It was filled with scorpions and evil and demons and confusion. And squatters lived there. And so God birthed an upstairs baby. And he says, I'm giving you my name and I'm giving you my authority. I want you to go downstairs and clean it up. That's how they viewed the heavens and the earth. And we are those who, by grace and mercy, have been born again in a heavenly realm and sent to the earth to partner with God in his great purpose of bringing heaven to earth. It's amazing. I'm talking about a prophetic people. We're not a weird people. We're actually natural, but we're supernatural in our naturalness. So, for example, we were singing this morning about when we worship, we're in heaven. This is heaven. No, it's a portion. It's a touch of heaven. It's not really heaven yet. But it's my conviction that the nearer to the throne we get, even on earth, the happier and the more joyful we become. Worship is so vital for us. When you read about worship in Revelation chapter 4, you need to read that frequently, at least once a week. Revelation 4 talks about the worship in heaven and the great beasts around the throne. They're bowing down. If they bow down, they come up and they see another beauty aspect of God. And they go, oh, I've got to worship some more. And then they bow down in worship. And then when they come, and it goes on and on and on, forever since before and until but we've got a taste of that. Could you imagine going up to one of the mighty angels in heaven and saying, do you ever get bored with this? I I don't think he would reply. He'd just look at you and do that and go back on to worshipping. You didn't see that. Raise an eyebrow. What? Who are you? Worship is the most profound act of humbling ourselves, but it's the taste of the joy And the fullness of heaven. We've tasted now of the fullness of what is coming. You see, if you put a cup into the Atlantic Ocean, you could fill that cup, but you wouldn't have anything near the Atlantic Ocean in the cup. But yet we have the fullness of Christ within us. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. We have the DNA now, and we're moving to the fullness. The whole earth will be filled with his beauty, with his glory. Every nation, every person, every village, every city will one day fall down and own his name. There was a businessman I was reading about who put a bid on building a mall. And the financier took his bid and said, we'll get back to you. It was millions and millions of dollars. He really wanted it. And he heard through the grapevine that actually he was disqualified. He wasn't going to get it. He was coming out of Starbucks and uh, he was about to walk down to his car and he saw this little old lady that had been left and been trying to cross a busy street and he was in a hurry, but he stopped himself and he went and he took her arm and he said, Ma'am, he said, let me let me help you across the street. Just a small act of kindness. Do you know heaven is full of kindness? There's no selfishness in heaven. He guided her across the street. The next day, to his surprise, the financier called him and said, You got the contract? Wow, he said, really? He said, I wasn't expecting that. He said, Well, he said, um, See, I heard that you guided an old lady across the street yesterday. He said, that lady was my mother. See, God records every small act of kindness. And when you act just kindly, it's not, I'm going to prophesy in front of 5,000 people and raise 16 people from the dead today. That's a prophetic act. Well, it is, and it would be nice, and we're moving towards that day. However, let's be glad for a little act of kindness, which is also prophetic because it's demonstrating the love of Jesus. So don't be discouraged that you're, you're not yet this mega angel. <laughs> it's okay. Little acts of kindness, a little cup of cold water is the way that Jesus put it. It is expressing the coming of the King. When every thirsty soul will be satisfied, either voluntarily or compulsorily. So the gifts, the supernatural gifts of the Spirit are supernatural. They are a taste of the coming age. And as the kingdom grows, for its increase will never end, so the dynamic of the kingdom will increase. We will prophesy in part, but we'll go on increasing. Increasing. The purpose of the gifts of the Spirit is to manifest the love of Jesus, just as his character qualities are to live out the love of Jesus. They're both about Jesus, his name being made great, his love being manifested. It's not, oh, I've got tongues, now I want to go on to interpretation of tongues. Yes, that's a good motive, but it's not about me. Last time I talked on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just need some water, honey, please. Last time I talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, got it, thanks. I'll just take a little taste. Mm -hmm. Last time I talked about the Holy Spirit, I gave you this little chart, which again, I'm thanking Kim for devising. The Holy Spirit's function is always to show us more of Jesus. That's why he's here. Jesus is not here, except by his Spirit. He is the head of the church, reigning from heaven, and we're the body on earth. Aren't you glad that Goliath's head was taken off? At the cross, Satan's head was crushed. <laughs> yeah. But Jesus' head is still attached to his body. He is in heaven. We're on earth. And he's giving the instruction from his headship to us. So the Holy Spirit's function is to reveal and to glorify Jesus, to make his name great. And he does this in two ways. So the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 don't know if you can throw that scripture up and then come back to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. Speaking of the old people of Israel as they came out of Egypt, it says they were all baptized into Moses. How can you be baptized into a person? How many of you have heard of Bill Haley? Okay, well he was the sort of nobody's heard of Bill Haley? Okay, well, I'm going to age myself. When I was a teenager, Bill Haley was the one who really was the orchestrator of rock and roll. You you, you heard of him now? Yeah. And you heard of, have you heard of a man called Presley, Elvis You heard of him? Well, he came after Bill Haley. Well, Bill, well, he was very famous. He came from Memphis, you know that. And... (coughs) In our cubicles at school, the kids would put up pictures of this great guitarist and singer, you know, had blue suede shoes. You heard about that. What was his name again, John? No, 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 the second one. Elvis Presley. How many of you heard of Elvis? Come on, you guys. so So people would would put sideburns down here and cut them like like he had. And they would have these drainpipe trousers, were the same trousers that he wore. And they would try and imitate, although we were English, they would try and imitate the way that this rock star would speak, and it spoke out of the side of his mouth somehow. And and he walked funny. It wasn't funny anymore. That was cultish. That was he. They were almost so caught up with him. They smelt like him. There was an aftershave which was named after him. And you put that on, and you say, "Oh, you're in the club now." That's true. So you looked like him. You looked like Elvis. You sounded like Elvis. And, and you had sideburns. And you even smelt like him. Now. <laughs> People were baptized into a person. They were all caught up with him. They couldn't think about anything else. They, they looked like him. They felt like him. They talked like him. Now we're baptized into Christ. So we smell like him. We look like him. We talk like him. We act like him as much as we can as he forms himself in us. Do you get the idea? So he says they were baptized into Moses, who was a type of Christ, and there were two baptisms. One was in the cloud and one was in the sea. What's the sea a picture of? Huh? What a baptism. How many of the Egyptians got through the sea? How many of your sins are not forgiven? None. But there was a second baptism. As they came up out of the water, they then were baptized into a cloud. A cloud came upon them. And it was a supernatural cloud, which turned supernaturally into fire at night so they could see it and be warmed by it because the desert was cold. They were all caught up in, baptized into a person who baptized them with his spirit. There were two baptisms into one person one go back to the chart please of character and charisma one brings the character no 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 character and charisma there we are one redeems you That's water baptism. It's a picture of having been saved or born again. That's a redeeming work of the Spirit. They're both works of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit redeems us and then he begins to create the character of Christ in us. How many character qualities are there? Well, actually, there's one, love, manifested in eight different ways. Love, joy, peace. Any of others? Goodness, gentleness, kindness, self, ooh, self-control. Did somebody say that one? Ooh. But the second is the empowerment, not just the redemption, but the empowerment, and they actually should happen close together. I remember baptizing a man with my son in the city of Cambridge in England. He was a big, tall, heavy man. We baptized him and the Spirit came upon him as he came up out of the water and he was knocked out in the Spirit it was laying in the water. His sister, who wasn't a believer, said, shall we go and get the paramedics? I said, no, it's just the Holy Spirit. And so my son and I had to float him to the side of the pool. And then he started speaking in tongues. See, I believe in sprinkling and full immersion. You baptize someone full immersion and they come up so excited they sprinkle everybody. <laughs> and there are nine supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit that is expressing Jesus in his charisma. So there's no such thing really as a charismatic and a non charismatic church. If you're born again, you're charismatic. You've got the charisma of Jesus. You've got the character. They go together. In fact, the cradle of character is the supporting evidence for the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. I think that in our day, God is so wise, obviously, not just in our day, but he's so wise that he is insisting upon the cradle of character to be more fully developed for the increase of the power of the supernatural. Because if we have poor character, then that's going to dissipate the power and then God would have to judge us. But because he loves us so much, he says, you know what, I'll wait till your character develops a little bit and then I'll give you more power. We want both and we may have both because the spirit is producing Christ in us. We're all wrapped up, tangled up, smelling like, talking like, looking like Jesus in our difference. What do you think? Well, there are three distinct groupings of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, not translation, interpretation of tongues. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, they all come by word. Then there are other Aspects of the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit that come to us in our mind. The word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the discerning of spirits, not just evil spirits, angelic spirits. And then power or action, the demonstrations of the Spirit, healings, the gift of faith, the gift of the working of miracles. Speaking of tongues, speaking in tongues is a doorway into the other gifts of the Spirit, I believe. Not, not exclusively so. My spiritual father began prophesying before he began speaking in tongues. Three days later, he began speaking in tongues, but he began by prophesying. On the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. But speaking in tongues is an individual door into the realm of the Spirit. So every time that you speak in tongues, if you do, if you don't, we'll pray for you this morning that you may. The Bible says, I want you all to speak in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Why? Because it's an individual gift that builds you up. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that those who speak in tongues, this supernatural evidence of the Spirit, those that speak in tongues build themselves up. How many of you, it's Monday tomorrow by the way. How many of you need building up on the inside? I do. I need it right now. To edify yourself means to build up a tower on the inside, to build a fortress, an edifice on the inside. And when you speak in tongues, just by some incredible manifestation of the grace of God, you start building and strengthening yourself on the inside, which helps you to overcome the outside. When I first began to speak in tongues, I was on a skiing holiday and I got trapped in an avalanche. I was covered over in an avalanche with a ski pole thrown up at the last minute, tumbling down a mountainside and then suddenly trapped. And and, and two days before, a man had prayed for me to be baptized, this power coming upon me. With the charisma of Christ, and after he prayed for me, I spoke in tongues. It came gushing out of me. It was a great experience. My wife was the opposite. It was like a little dove landed on her, and she just began to speak quietly and gently because maybe that's the personality of who she is. I used to be like that, but when the Spirit came upon me, it all changed. well, I was trapped in this avalanche. And a friend of mine came down, and he prayed. He was a Christian man, and he prayed. said, Lord, in this avalanche, where do I start? Where do I look? He said, but if Mike is under here, show me where he is. And he lifted his head from prayer, and between his legs, he told me later, obviously, I'm still alive, so I did recover. I was saved. But between his legs was just the little silver tip of my ski pole. And so he uncovered it, and he found an arm, a hand, an arm, a shoulder. He said, my face was blue with asphyxia. As he wiped the snow off my face, I began speaking in tongues. It was a sign for me in my unbelief. When you speak in tongues, you remind yourself, oh, I'm born again. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. I can build up. That's edifying. It's encouraging because the devil doesn't mind a little bit of sin, but his intention is to separate you from believing in God. But tongues is also a taste of heaven. It's a little taste of a language which every tribe and every kindred and every race will one day speak when he gathers them all. You remember the story of Babel? This comes in Genesis chapter 11. This is the story of Babel was this. He said, they said this. Come, let us build ourselves eh. can you do the eh with me yeah come let us build ourselves a tower a city and a tower with its top in heavens eh why because it's not trying to get earth into heaven it's trying to get the upstairs into the downstairs so they, they made two mistakes, contradicting the purpose of God. They said, we'll build ourselves. No, we're not building a kingdom for ourselves. I'm not preaching for myself. I'm not even preaching just for you. I'm preaching mainly because I want Jesus increased, glorified, his name to be known. That's my passion, and it's yours as well. Ourselves. The top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, (sniffs) lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. (sniffs) Because the original commissioning was to go over the whole earth and fill the whole earth with the light, and the beauty, and the power, and that every name, that every every nation would be discipled. Discipleship is one by one, isn't it? You've been discipled. Are you discipling one by one? It says go. You don't have to go to Africa to be involved in discipleship. The literal commission in Matthew 28 is go, and in your going, disciple. Whether you're in the hospital uh, as a nurse or a doctor, whether you're a school teacher, whether whatever you are, in your going, Go. In your family, go, go. I'm so excited to be discipling my grandson, one of my grandsons. So exciting. We text each other. What's the meaning of this, Grandpa? Ooh, that's so good. I like that. I feel the spirit on me today, Grandpa. It's so so precious. So it's from the end of the street to the ends of the earth. And most of us, it's the end of the street. It's in our family. And so it was the very opposite. So God came down when he saw this. He said, you know, a people that are united, anything is possible to them, good or bad. In this case, it was bad. So God said, I'm going to be gracious and kind to you, and I'm going to stop the badness of what you're planning to do. And I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make you all confused by giving you different languages. So, Joe comes up to help build Babel's tower one morning, and uh, he says, uh, Bonjour, Joe. Adios. And he says, Adios, Michel. And we, I don't understand what you're saying. And so, disunity upon mankind began here. Well, it began in the garden. But at Pentecost, God took people from all over the Mediterranean with all different languages and they all came together and he poured out his spirit upon them and he gave them one glorious heavenly languages. Even though the languages of heaven are different, yet they all understood each other. So when you speak in tongues and when we speak in tongues corporately, what we're doing is we're, little, we're bringing in a taste of heaven. A day coming when Jesus returns upon the earth and there will be all of us together speaking one name and one language and one purpose. Don't get too excited. Do you live in the hope of heaven? It's the most exciting thing for me these days. I suppose I'm closer to it than you, but it's true. Prophesying. Go back to slide five, please. Prophesying. See, prophesying is verbal. It means literally to speak on behalf of another. It's taking a bubbling up from deep within and speaking it out on behalf of another. At the end of today, I'm going to invite those of you that would like somebody to prophesy over you to come forward and we'll have a time of prophesying one to another. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that when you prophesy, you're speaking on behalf of another. You're bringing words of the Spirit to somebody to encourage them, to comfort them, sometimes to direct them, and to strengthen them. Well, many of us in this room put our hand up with that need today. So one of the ways in which God answers your prayer is he'll give you a word, a little word of comfort and encouragement to strengthen you. It's called prophesying. But prophecy is also an action. So I'll tell you what happened to Goliath's head. Ready? David dragged it. It was heavy. It was a big old bloody head. Bloody is a bad word in the English language in Great Britain, but it's okay here, isn't it? You can't use it in, in England because it means by our lady. By our lady. So he took this bloody head and they were going up to Bethel as a nation. Conquered the Philistines. Yeah! I, I think they were excited and David was excited. And he's dragging this head up and he takes a left turn and he goes up to Jerusalem, which is inhabited by a people called the Jebusites who were squatters. Upstairs, downstairs. And they have been there for centuries. But it was the city of God. They didn't belong there. They were squatting there. It belonged to the Israelites. And David had a passion for Jerusalem. His passion for Jerusalem, which is a type of the church, came from God's passion for Jerusalem. You know, God's passionate about the church. You know, God's passionate about you and me. And David says, hey... This is wrong. We can't allow this in Jerusalem. This is the pleasure of God. This is the place where God dwells. And you squatters, get out. You've got to get out. And they mocked him. He said, you know what? You're like the blind and the lame. You're never going to get in here. They mocked him. And he grew indignant. He took this bloody head and he put it right outside the gate of Jerusalem. It was a prophetic word. What was the prophetic word saying? It was saying, you don't belong here. We've just killed our main enemy. We've cut off his head and I'm coming in and I'm taking this city back for my God. You got any Goliath heads you want to put somewhere? Some family situation? Some barrier, something that you've conquered? something that God has given you victory in that you can now take it and plant it outside the encampment of an enemy who's squatting there in your life and say, I'm coming in by the grace of God. And here's my testimony, this big old bloody head of Goliath. It took him 19 years before he finally took the city, but he took it. you have got a few Goliath hairs we need to plant around St. Charles. One of them is religious spirit. We want a church that's one in the city. We need need to pull that Goliath's head down, right? Drugs. Youth being taken over by darkness. as a Goliath's head. You know, the greatest prophetic act that's ever happened in history is the cross. Because at the cross, Satan's head was severed. He was brought to a zero. His head, the Bible says, was crushed. Do you know why it says in Genesis that your heel will be bruised? Because the church, Christ through Christ, was stomping on Satan's head and it's crushed. God's head, Jesus, is in the heavens, directing his body, you and me, on earth. But it was the greatest prophetic act. You know, when Jesus cried it is finished when he died, but it says that when he was resurrected three days later, it was with a shout. If the cross was the victory in which he cried, it is finished, that was merely the finishing and the running and the breaking of the tape, but now he's got, an, uh, he's got a lap of victory. you seen the Olympics when they run around, they, get, they, get, they put their flag on and they go, I won! It's a lap of victory now. And so the ascension was a shout underlined with a megaphone by an earthquake. So it's across this prophetic act. See, it's finished, but it's not complete. It's a taste of what's coming yet. It's finished in terms of our inheritance, all our sins forgiven, all our sicknesses healed. All power over all demons. Granting us an eternal future. For if we died in Christ as we have done, then we shall surely live in his resurrection. The proof of you and me that death is not the end, that there is a resurrection. You know what? The proof is the proof is that the same spirit that dwells in him dwells in us. And if he was resurrected, therefore we too will be resurrected in our mortal body. When I had the COVID back in the end of October, the first night they didn't have room. In the, the hospital was full. I was in the ER bed. And uh, I felt, I don't know if it's true, I, I can't discern this, but I was deeply troubled, and I felt like an angel of death came to me and whispered, "You're going to die tonight. Get ready." I was I was overwhelmed with fear. I'm just being honest with you. I was I was overwe- I was very vulnerable. I felt tired. I felt sick. I wasn't breathing well, and now in comes this enemy at the point of my weakness. He says, you, you better get ready, you're going. And then I about thought about Penny and I thought about the kids and I began to weep and weep and weep. I spoke out Psalm 34, in what time? I'm afraid I will trust in the Lord. It helped me. I spoke in tongues, that really helped me, build me up a little bit. But all through the night, I was toing and froing and tossing in my sleep and waking up and, and standing against it and weeping and crying. And the next morning, a brother called me. He said, how are you doing? I said, not well. He said, you need to yield your life and be prepared to let Jesus take you. I said, no, I'm not ready to go. I've had prophetic words over me that I shall live till I'm 98 at least. Can I, you, can I tell you about that? I'll tell you what happened, okay. I'd, I'd, had, this, I'd had this acoustic tumor. I had it out, seven-hour surgery, and it left all my face paralyzed. Paralyzed. We went away for a holiday, didn't we? Went away for a holiday up to Canada. And we were staying on the way back down near these little islands on the east coast, Martha's Vineyard, whatever. And we stayed in this little bed and breakfast, and there was a chapel opposite. I went into the chapel, and there was a beautiful stained-glass window there. It was dedicated to um, one of those fishermen that hunt for whales, the whalers, you know. It's a very dangerous art. You plunge a spear into the back of a whale and you hang on to your little skiff while he takes off down to the bottom of the ocean, and you hope you survive. Well, this window was dedicated to a whaler on Martha's Vineyard, and he lived 98 years. So I got down on my knees. I said, Lord, I've just had a near death. I'm asking you for 98 years. So I got up. We came back home and went across to Vic um, Davis's little church in Gary, Indiana, a great big black football player. He was a friend of mine. I went to Africa with him. And he said, Oh, Mike, he said, I had a curious dream about you last night. I said, Oh, tell me. Is this prophetic? He said, Well, you were reading a book. And he said, It's an unusual book. It was two stories. And you read from the beginning to the middle. And then you turned the book around and you read from the end to the middle. He said, You just turned round to read the second part of the story. I was 49. And a friend of ours came up to me a week later. We were in a meeting and he said, Mike, he said, I've got a word from God for you. I said, oh, really? I, I wasn't too fond of this fella. I've got to be honest. You know, I, you love everybody as a Christian, but you don't have to like everybody. I'm just joking. He said, you're halfway through your life. Three words. So now I'm back in the hospital, covid Crying, tears, all of that. you be prepared to give you a yielded life. So I submitted to this brother. I said, Lord, I'll pray with you. Lord, I'm prepared to go. No, I'm not. You told me, Lord. 98. Prophecy is strengthening. It's edifying. It's comforting. Come today and let's prophesy toward one another. Well, prophesying if the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ from the dead will surely give life to you in your mortal body and raise you up too Romans eight eleven. You need to know that scripture that's a good one word of knowledge see God is omniscient omniscient means he knows everything it's a long word but it's a beautiful truth He's omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that you can tell him because he knows everything. You can't remind God of anything because he never forgets anything. There's nothing in him that should be out of him. There's nothing out of him that should be in him. He is complete and awesome in everything. He owns every particle of dust in the universe. However, as mere mortals of the king... We may ask him to please give me a little piece of information, a little piece supernaturally put down into my heart, into my mind, into my spirit, a little piece of information that I wouldn't otherwise know in order to help somebody. I'm getting a little taste of the omniscience, just a little taste of the omniscience in order to help somebody in their pain or their confusion or their discouragement it's a little supernatural piece of knowledge i was up in minneapolis st paul one time in a baptist church and they'd asked me to come and talk about the baptism in the holy spirit in a baptist church only half came because all of them except two were not baptized in the holy spirit didn't move in the gifts of the spirit but they were interested the half that didn't come were not interested they said, no, well, I prefer to stay a Baptist. That's fine. Well, it's not fine, but it's okay. So we prayed, and nearly all of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues and prophesying. It was wonderful. It was a real touch of God. But there was one lady there. whose name was Sandy, and she was the deacon's daughter. And the deacon wasn't there, but he, her father, was very much against anything that we were talking about that day. So she just wasn't receiving, and other people were praying for Sandy, and because I'm the big preacher, they brought her to me. And I thought, I know what to do here. And I felt the Spirit say, just be quiet. I found the grace of God to be quiet. And he showed me in a little picture in my mind it was very embarrassing. I'm, I mean, embarrassed to tell you. But it was a woman's breast leaking milk. So I, I tried to cleanse my mind. I said, oh God, deliver me from this unclean spirit. No, I, I'm listening to this. I said, well, now I need wisdom. I need a little word of wisdom to know what to do with the little word of knowledge. So wisdom and knowledge are twins. They go together. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. So I've got the knowledge, so I can't go to Sandy. Hey, you ever seen any leaking breasts around here? I know, I, I, need, I need a wisdom to know how to communicate. What is God wanting to do here? So I said to her, I said, Sandy, uh, have you got a baby? She said, yes. She said, and my milk is flooding out of my breast. Well, she didn't use the word breast. She said, the milk is flooding out of me because this meeting has been so long. I said, you know, God's like that. He's like a mother with a breast of milk and you won't feed. She began to weep. I reached out my hand. I said, "Could it be okay to pray for you, Sandy? I reached out my hand. I didn't touch her. She began to immediately put her hands up she was speaking in tongues like this. It was the word of knowledge that unlocked her with the word of wisdom that set her free. And Jesus is glorified. And his name is made great because she's still speaking in tongues and she's on her way to an eternal inheritance. You know, God wants every one of us to learn how to begin to take steps in this. You can do this. Sometimes it comes to me from a scripture. So I went to this morning, I went in this meeting, I went and prayed for a lady because a scripture came into my mind. John 14, verse 1. And I saw this woman just loving Jesus. And John 14, verse 1 came into my mind. Let not your heart be troubled. So the word of knowledge came to me out of just a scripture. So I went to and prayed for her. Just prayed the scripture over her. It's a word of knowledge. Discerning of spirits. There is a time and a place where you and I will dwell by the grace and mercy of God in heaven, in the heaven, which will be on earth. There'll be no more demons, no more evil spirits, just angels. I find it difficult to know sometimes what is flesh, what is carnality, what is a demon, and what's an angel. My wife, it's easy to discern with. She's always angelic. No, she is. See, can a a Christian have a demon? That's not the right question. It's can can a Christian have a demon. That's not the right question. It's can a demon have a Christian. In your innermost being, where Christ dwells by the Spirit, you are sanctified, you are holy, you are whole. The challenge of life is getting what is in our spirit, where Christ has been born into us, to get that to permeate up through our character and our soul realm, in our thinking and in, uh, in, a, in our acting. You remember when Jesus sent the disciples into Jerusalem to get a donkey? And it was just before the triumphal entry. He said, go get that donkey. And they went there, and it says they found this donkey tied to a post. And they loosed the donkey and brought the donkey to Jesus. They didn't bring the post to Jesus. They loosed the donkey from the post. It's possible that Christians can be tormented by demons in their soul, but not their spirit. And sometimes it's necessary to loose somebody from the rope that ties them in their soul to a demonic influence. And we can all do that, in Jesus' name, provided we discern that spirit. Put up slide five again about the gifts of the spirit, please. I can hear some questions being asked in (laughs) in the room about this one. Gifts of healings, gifts plural, of healings. They are gifts given to us to help somebody get well. That glorifies Jesus. That validates the cross and the resurrection. Healings are taking a little bit of the wholeness, a little taste of heaven where there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more crying, no more tears, a paradise on earth. We have a taste of it now and healing really is about justice. Justice means putting right that which is wrong. That's what justice does. And you are created with a longing for justice because God is the just judge of all the earth. And because you're created in his image, you'll find some things inside of you that jump up and get enraged by things that are not right, that are not fair. Have you experienced that? Somebody draws into the parking lot just before you and then gives you the finger you want to get out and pound that thing with it, you want to break every, right? What is that? Well, it's maybe carnality, but it could be justice. You can't repent of being and wanting and seeking justice because it's part of God in you. We have to do it in the right way. And some of us are more prophetically anxious about justice than others. My wife is very strongly a mercy giver. So I I can get enraged about something justly. (laughs) And she'll always bring an excuse for them. I feel like saying, stop that. Go for justice. I mean, she'd get the devil saved if she could, really. Which is not possible, by the way. It's already under the curse. So So healings are, are putting right what is wrong, and God, in His mercy and because of the cross, gives the partnering to you and I to lay hands on and to speak words of health and life over people, to take what is a little bit of a little taste of heaven, where it's perfect, where your body will be perfect, you'll be able to run without getting out of breath, <laughs> where you'll be able to go as fast as a horse and say, "Hey, I'm with you, maybe." Your perfect body in all its wholeness. You're taking a little taste of that. You're saying, I'm applying justice to this sickness. And saying, no, that is not right. I'm bringing justice here. I'm making right what is wrong. It's healing. Emotional healing. Physical healing. Mental healing. Isn't it beautiful? I mean, isn't the, the Word of God wonderful? Aren't we privileged to be entering in and listening to this stuff? see, faith only works when it's energized by love. I have a chainsaw at home. It's a wicked machine. I tell you, when I, got, I, when I learned how to use this machine, I can lean it up against a tree and it'll come down. It'll take great chunks of wood out. It is awesome. I love the noise of it. I keep it in my man cave. How many men here got a man cave? Come on, you guys. It's in my man cave. When I get that thing buzzing, whoa, watch out. The trouble is, when it runs out of gas, it's useless. I can pull it, I can, I can encourage it, I can speak words of faith to it, but it, it doesn't work. So the Bible says this in Galatians 5, verse 6. It says, faith works only when it's supplied with love. Love is the gas that causes faith to work. Wow, that puts things into perspective, doesn't it? You can put that slide up, number seven. Faith only works when it is energized by love. Galatians 5, verse 6. So the pursuit of the love of Christ is something that we're, we're constantly needing to be brought back to. It's about Jesus. It's about his love. It's about his heart. It's about intimacy. It's about the vertical before the horizontal. Otherwise, if I'm pursuing the horizontal too fast without the vertical, I've got nothing to give. That's why it's so precious that the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the explanation of those gifts in chapter 14, in the middle is chapter 13. Anybody know what chapter 13 is about? Love is... So sandwiched in between the meat, if you will. The meat is love. And so pursuing the love of Christ and the care for people will make you pursue the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you're energized in your faith by love. Lord, can we pray for that? Father, I, I, I need more of this energy of your love. Yes, it's me, Lord. I'm, I'm saying I need the love of Christ, which is higher and deeper and wider and broader than every enemy. I open my heart, Lord, fill me, increase me with the revelation of the love of Christ that I might move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is beautifully demonstrated in the working of miracles with Jesus. Look, let me read you a passage in Luke 7, which is one of my favorites. It says, as Jesus drew near to the gate of the town. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out in a coffin. He was the only son of his mother. Jeez. And he was dead. She was old. Now, her whole dependency, her whole love, that little baby she'd caressed in her arms, was dead. He was just a young man doesn't say how she died. And she was a widow. Duh. No husband. Just the son. The only son. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when Jesus saw her, listen to this. He had compassion on her. See, compassion is different from empathy. Empathy is good. But compassion is empathy with legs. He had compassion on her. And he said to her, don't weep. (laughs) That's empathy. Now here comes compassion. Don't weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin. And the bearers stood still. Who's this interrupter? What's he doing? This interloper banging on the lid of the coffin. It's Jesus. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the king of the resurrection does it again. (laughs) And the dead man sat up and began to speak and listen. And Jesus gave him to his mother. What sort of life did they have after that? Isn't it beautiful? I mean, it, it encompasses the whole thing. It's about Jesus. It's about his love, his compassion. But it was the working of a miracle. It was a little bit of the divine for into jesus humanness. Do you want that? Stand, shall we?